Another week, another top 10 prospect list here at JustBaseball.com and another run through on the Just Baseball show, which means it's another week where I don't think I said last week that it was going to be potentially the last prospect episode. Jack, we're doing it one more time. We still had a little bit of holiday delay on the art and some of the podcast uh, essentials. So we get to do, not that you're not going to be on the other show, but we get to do this again on the Just Baseball show. We're talking St. Louis Cardinals prospects today. Wait, hold on. You said you're never talking to me again as soon as this other show launches? Yeah, as soon as the call-up launches, your prospect perspective is no longer... uh, We don't do it anymore. I'm only doing this out of obligation. Like We can't break the band up yet, but once I get an out, I'm I'm done. I don't want to hear what you have to say anymore. I understand. I understand. Um, Hey, I'm excited about the Cardinals system. I think you and I have have one guy in particular to talk about. Yeah, we've got nine others that we're going to have a good time talking about. But before we get rolling with that, St. Louis resident and native Joe Buck. You are the best at what you do, both in print and reporting on TV, period. Your integrity and depth of knowledge about the sport we love is unmatched. See you in April. That was Joe Buck about the recently let go by MLB Network Ken Rosenthal. Oh, Joe Buck said that. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of a better way to say what Ken Rosenthal does for baseball. Yeah, and I think Joe Buck's a great person to be able to kind of reinforce that too. I mean, somebody that's as big of a voice and personality, and not only baseball but the sports world in general. And when 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 Joe Buck who no matter what Yankees, Red Sox, whatever fans want to say, the probably most neutral human on earth is kind of taking, I wouldn't say it's a stance, but making sure that he goes out of his way to show his support for Ken Rosenthal because of what happened at MLB network. And and for those who don't know, I mean, this was Ken Rosenthal, essentially the report was, and he didn't come out and deny it. And I think him not denying it was him basically confirming it in my, in my eyes. I, I don't like to assume in the world of journalism, like we always say, but Uh, When the report comes out that Ken Rosenthal was let go because of his criticism towards Rob Manfred in regards to the lockout, uh, specifically and in 2020 as well, with just the way Rob Manfred was going about things. And then Rosenthal says, yeah, it's true. I'm out at MLB Network and doesn't do anything to kind of push back on that story. And that kind of tells us everything we need to know. And uh, it's a bad bad look for baseball. We could probably record an entire episode just on the dangerous precedents it sets that we are censoring one of the biggest voices in baseball for not something egregious. He didn't attack Rob Manfred's personal life or his family or anything. He was just critical of the way that he is doing his job, which is something that Rosenthal's allowed to do for the players on the field. He's allowed to do for the managers, the GMs, the owners. Why is he not allowed to do it for the commissioner who is also just an employee at the end of the day. The commissioner is 
the employee of 30 white billionaires. Yes. Right. So the commissioner works for the owners. If you are the main employee of 30 60 year old white billionaires, like you should be able to take a little bit of heat. And I understand that it's on the network that your association or your league um, it, it provides, like pays for. It is the flagship network, obviously. MLB Network is owned by Major League Baseball. But I mean, that's not journalistic integrity like you're talking about. No. Like, that's not that is censoring. And I, I saw a good yeah. Photoshop. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you've seen the photo of Vladimir Putin before shirtless riding the horse. I saw the Photoshop of Manfred's face on that. And here's the thing. It is far off, but it's also not that far off. <laughs> it's, it's, it's censorship control. And it's just trying to take a, take a hold on everything that's going on. And the, the really upsetting part about it, is that we've talked about it like Rob Manfred really has no baseball background. No. And now he's treating this like some world that he owns. When, when you're doing something like that, when you're silencing the, the, one of the best voices uh, and the best, the best. I, okay. You know, I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to like make the definitive statement, but I agree. I yeah. totally agree. The, the best. best, the best and the most respected and the most well-liked and objectively great for the sport and, and you're quelling that guy for a very simple non-aggressive it was I, I was looking at all of the con like because they don't have a specific comment that he said which i think is telling in itself but of the suspected comments none of that they were all they were all very mundane it was all just like if this wasn't bad enough manfred has done this this and this it was like okay he's made these mistakes look if manfred does something Something well, Rosenthal will will cover that too, right? Like that's the thing is is if you do things well, they'll cover that too. This isn't some smear campaign. This isn't some horrible hit piece from Ken Rosenthal. He's just being a journalist. And and if we're going to disallow that, then MLB Network's just not. And I, and I love the personalities on there. There's a lot of amazing people on there, and it's a there's some great programs, but. They're going to lose all their credibility. Why the hell would I go to MLB Network for any information when I know that they are discouraged from truly speaking their minds? Yeah, and the good news is Ken Rosenthal is still going to be working for The Athletic. He's still going to be working for Fox. So we're going to see him on telecasts at games. We're also going to be able to read all the stuff he puts out all the time. And you know what? He's going to hop on the same podcast as Jason Stark often, which is really cool. Like, I think... We're in a good spot. Ken Rosenthal, I mean, he. we're going to lose him on MLB Network if you turn that on. But I know a lot of baseball fans that actually don't watch much MLB Network at all. They just get it from other outlets. And you're not going to see less of Ken Rosenthal if that's the case. Um, I think this just hurts. Like, as the commissioner, you are judged by the job that you do. You're not necessarily judged on character. You are sometimes, you know, like David Stern, sometimes, Bud Seelig, sometimes. Rob Manfred, if he wasn't shitty at his job, we wouldn't be talking about how bad of a dude this is and how bad of a move this is. But he's really, really bad at his job. Yeah. So yeah. now everything's being put in question. Exactly. I mean, it's not like Rob Manfred's out here doing horrible things and being a total, total asshole. No, he's just really bad at his job. Yeah. Or too good at it. Like, that's a thing. That's what I'm saying. Like, I look at it and I'm almost like he's too good at the purpose of his job, which is 
in a, in a way represent the owners and be in the owner's back pocket on that side of things. He is incredible at his job, right? He's an incredible labor attorney who's very accomplished and has done a lot of really, really impressive things outside of sports. But, you know, part of the job of the commissioner is also expanding and growing the game, but that's not in the description for what actually gets him paid. So I would argue he's actually phenomenal at his job. And that's the problem. Right. So maybe he's just in the wrong job or like maybe maybe people's maybe people have a misconception of what the commissioner is actually doing. Well, it's like what, what he's supposed to do in our eyes doesn't get him paid or retain his job. Right? As much as we like to pretend that growing the game the way Roger Goodell does and gets incentives um, and, and doing things like that is what the job really entails. It's not, it, it's, it's making sure that owners are lining their pockets and are getting the things that they need. And, and, no, that's why he is able to continue to maintain this job. And he's going to for a while because he's doing that side of things really well. So well that we have a work stoppage. Uh, <laughs> and I think on the, on the player side, I don't think we should overlook the fact that, uh, you know, Tony Clark has not done any, anything well, <laughs> like I, from what I've heard from, from a lot of people close to the situation, it's, they're disappointed with, with the representation of Tony Clark and, and he feel that he has come up a bit short. And let's be honest about this. I mean, Rob Manfred can probably run laps around Tony Clark because Rob Manfred has done this dance before. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the, the PA probably needs somebody a bit more experienced in this regard to, to try to combat Rob Manfred because you know, Rob Manfred, I feel like is, is just, it's a cakewalk for him. Yeah. And, and last thing for me on the commissioner thing, the reason that Adam Silver is regarded as the best commissioner in sports right now is because the players, the coaches, the scouts, the owners, the fans, they're all kind of on the same page in the NBA. It's let's turn this thing into an absolute wagon and take it to the top so everybody's making money. And they listen to the players. That's the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the the owners, it's on a per team basis. You know, when you hear federal mandates being put in place and then you hear some things that you know the government says oh let's let's leave it to the states to decide on this like let's have this be a state unique thing if you look at it in the nba top down they're all on the same page and all the owners all 30 owners want to put asses in seats they want massive tv deals and they want their players to perform to the point that they win championships the players, A, want to perform well. They also want supermax deals, which they've gotten. They want inflated deals, which they've gotten. They wanted a higher minimum, which they've gotten. I mean, like when there is more money, that is good for absolutely everybody. And Major League Baseball has fumbled the bag time and time again. And now they're fumbling this moral code bag with Ken Rosenthal. Yeah. And, and I think the last thing I want to say on that is you bring up good points is, of course, there's always a little bit of like a, a push and pull, right? You give the higher minimum salaries, you're going to lose a little bit here. If you're owners, you give this, you're going to lose a little bit of that. But if you give the players everything they need and everything they want, there seems to be a net positive of that. And I'm not saying every single thing, but you meet a lot of the requests, especially financially. It makes its way back into your pockets as an owner, too. When everything's moving harmoniously, when the players are happy, when you have a good relationship between commissioner, owners, fans, players and all parties involved, Usually you're in a better situation. And, and I think that's why we see the NBA doing what it is. Obviously the NBA, I could argue is almost a little bit too far that way in terms of being player dominated, where you have players bouncing around requesting trades and uh, you know, kind of just 
holding out. It's kind of weird with the way some of those things happen over there too. Uh, but the, the larger point is that if everybody's at, there's a way of getting everybody to be happy. And it's one of the few things in life where I think it actually is possible. And it's in a sports league, like major league baseball. I think you can't just always be weighing the risk and reward and just always looking at what you might be giving up when you try to do some of the things that everybody wants to do. So the other thing that I like to see though, is that at least we're seeing minor league baseball players get a little bit more of a seat at the table. We're seeing minor league baseball players uh, more so in the conversation during a lot of these new, I I don't know how much it's going to be a priority in the CBA, but we are seeing the narrative of living situations and, and just all around minor league quality of life continues to be discussed. And I think that we're going to see a big difference this year. We saw housing being something that minor leaguers are finally starting to get some help with coming up in this coming season. And that's a great start as well. And that's what we're here to talk about ultimately is these minor leaguers in the Cardinal system, some of which you saw um, and some of which could also help the big league team. And what you guys talked about in the recent podcast with, you know, what the Cardinals are looking at this coming season. Yeah, no, I think the Cardinals are fascinating. And I think that they've got some guys that can plug in now. And the question is, how good will they be for a team that's trying to win the World Series this year? Um, And there are other guys where they're either franchise altering trade pieces or they're guys that you hold out hope on. And when 2024, 2025 rolls around, it's like, okay, the Messiah has come. I, I think they've got a very healthy dose of each. And historically speaking, the St. Louis Cardinals are one of the best organizations in baseball at developing talent and keeping the homegrown talent. They've got so many late bloomers, too. You know, I, I look at over the years, even the Matt Carpenters and the Alan Craigs of the world. But now you're seeing the, the Lars Newt bars, uh, even the Tyler O'Neills. It seems like even the, the prospects that struggled for a while, in the upper levels, they seem to put it together later on. And even Alex Reyes, right? He seemed lost for a minute as a former top pitching prospect. Now, you know, turns into a really good bullpen arm, though. Yes, he, he had some ups and downs at the end. They do a good job of developing these guys after years of struggle and kind of helping and not giving up on dudes. And someone will probably talk about a little bit, Nick Plummer, 2015 first round pick. I think most teams would have given up on a dude like that by now. He was horrid for several years, made major adjustments this coming year or this past year, excuse me, and was great. Like they don't give up on their dudes. And you'll see that for the most part, they keep guys in their system for several, several years. Some of the other late bloomers though, that they, they do end up passing on. They, they feel it a bit more in Adolis Garcia and Randy Rosarena, but those are guys that they held on to for years through the minor leagues had debut in the big leagues and then kind of wanted to sell high on because I'm not sure they were totally sold on their development, but I think they're starting to realize like, Hey, we actually have played a big part in developing some of these guys. They really have hundred percent. And you know, the rays are reaping the rewards of the development of Randy or Rosarena in St. Louis. Uh, we got called out on, on social media because Nick Plummer, not a member of the Cardinals organization anymore. Car- oh. Plummer elected free agency and signed a deal with the New York Mets at the end of November during the lockout frenzy. So Nick Plummer's a Met. So maybe the Mets are going to reap the rewards of Nick Plummer's development in a Cardinals organization. Oh, well, there goes my point. <laughs> right? Why would they let, I guess they have so many outfielders and they've got 
but what? That's crazy know. to me. So Plummer was fantastic. Plummer was fantastic last year. That's wild. Yeah, that is right. Wild. Wouldn't have cracked the top 10, obviously, but I was really excited about the improvements that Nick Plummer made. Uh, and, and it's pretty surprising to see them let him go in free agency. Good pickup by the Mets. Good pickup by the Mets. We'll see if it works out. Why would you wait for him to put it together and then let him go via free agency? Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what they did with the Rosarena, though. They traded him, at least. Yeah, at least they traded him. Right. <laughs> and they got like a pretty good pitching prospect in Matthew Libertor, who we're going to talk about. Like, yeah. Why would you just let Nick Plummer walk? I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm excited to talk about Libby because I, I've dove in to Liberator recently. I've dove into a couple of these guys. Um, I spent the better part of an hour watching this number one prospect in the Cardinal system. And I'm all in like chips at the middle of the poker table on this guy. Yeah. I mean, Jordan Walker, <laughs> I, what did you watch specifically? I watched him take pitches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he watched. That's when you know, man, you're watching takes. Uh, but actually, that was why I liked Nick Palmer. I was watching his takes. I was like, he, he fixed it. He eliminated the leg kick. Look great. I'm like, I'm jarred about that. Uh, but Jordan Walker, I mean, 18 years old at the start of the season, and maybe even like closer to 17 at the start of the season. <laughs> and you talk about the takes, like went up to high A, held his own dominated low a uh six five 220 something pounds insane power 113 plus exit velos and what i was shocked about too jack is his ability to actually move like i think he could play defensively at third obviously you got that arenado guy there yeah, i think he could fine. play corner he could play a corner in the outfield like he, he he was up to 90 something on the mound as a pitcher i think 95 on the mound he's got a mega arm he moves pretty well but with the bat i mean you talk about the takes what teenager goes straight to high A out of high school like that and has that kind of comfort at the plate? It was, it, it's just incredible. It, it, and it's not just, it's not just like what pitches he takes. It's his posturing. It's how he looks physically, the way that he strides to the baseball. And even if it's an eye high fastball that he's not swinging at, as soon as he sees it out of a pitcher's hand, you still tense your shoulders up a little bit. You're just like, oh my God, this could be hit to the moon. The way that he loads up and it's not over the top. It's not crazy. There's no serious leg kick here. There's no waggle with the bat. His swing is point A to point B. It is as direct a line to the baseball as we've seen. And he's a massive human being. When yeah. you have this controlled of an approach at the plate and this control from point A to point B, the way Jordan Walker is built, the way that he swung the bat, and yes, he struck out a lot when he went up to high A, but he's also like, can he vote? Like, I think he can vote now. Yeah, um, he, 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 can he can't rent a car, he can't drink, he can't. Yeah, he can't do any of that stuff. So like when I see Jordan Walker, um, I see a top 20 prospect in baseball and I see the guy with the potential to be one of the best power bats the sport has. A hundred percent because of the field to hit, right? Like you usually see the big power guys that are 19 and you're like, oh, wow. When he connects, but also it's, it's so few and far between like, yes, he struck out a lot, quote unquote, because like, yes, it was a lot, but at the same time, relative to where he was for his age, 27% in today's game, 27% K rate in high A is more is actually palatable and we know that's going to improve right like we know if he goes back to high a next year that's going to be more in the low 20s uh because 
the 17% K rate in Huawei is incredibly impressive. I know high A is a, is a big jump and he held his own. It wasn't some egregious swing and miss numbers and the home runs were there. 14 home runs in 82 games between the two levels is spectacular. I love what you talk about with, with the less is more thing, because this is something I talk about a lot with Griffin Conine uh, because Griffin Conine, not, not as big as Jordan Walker, but a very physical dude with easy power. And we're always like, we're always kind of going back and forth. I'm always picking his brain on hitting. And he's like, yeah, I mean, really I'm fortunate. And so is Jordan Walker. I don't need a lot to generate power. I don't need to do too much to generate power. So I want to make it as quiet as possible so that I can get to where I need to get as frequently as possible with as few as dis- disruptions as I can have. Jordan Walker found that. Um, and for him, it was just sinking into that back leg, almost kind of Christian Yelich style, not as dramatic, but he sinks into that back leg and just lets it eat. He doesn't have to do much more. If you look at Aaron Jones or Aaron Jones, Aaron Judge, I'm still in football mode. Yeah, I hear it. Aaron Judge. He sinks into his back leg and literally swings off his back leg. Like he doesn't need to move much. And the big guys that are able to tap into that power with the most limited movement possible are when they can repeat that more effectively because you're not moving as much, you're in good shape. And that's why I think Jordan Walker is always going to be able to hit enough uh, with that power as well. And, and, and that's why he's well ahead of his ears. Okay. So I saw Judge. I also saw Spencer Torkelson in Jordan Walker. I saw that type of swing, like really strong guy, really quiet. And they just go from point A to point B and they're big enough and strong enough where they can pump it out. Well, it's funny because you talk about the takes. One of my, one of the things that stands out the most to me about Torkelson is his takes. His takes are so easy because when you are point A to point B as quick as these guys are, you have more time to make your decision. When you have more time to make your decision, you're generally going to make the right decision more often. And that's what we saw from Walker and Torkelson. So, you know, it it, it does remain to be seen where he's going to play because third base is still going to be probably owned by Nolan Arenado in three years. I don't expect him to slow down defensively anytime soon. Uh, But I think Jordan Walker's athletic enough to, to man somewhere else. And like you said, the bat is what plays and, that's a top 20 prospect for us. Yeah. And, and it was too easy for him too. like high a, obviously, I mean, this guy had a 27% strikeout rate, but he still put up a 124 WRC plus. Exactly. But like exactly. low a low a as a 19 year old was too easy for him in 27 games. He walked 18 times and struck out just 21 times. Yeah. He had let's count 18 extra base hits in 27 games. In low A, as a 19-year-old, I mean, like, it was too easy of a level for him. So the Cardinals had their hand forced, and they had to push him to Peoria, which he might not have been ready for, but he still was an above-average hitter and a well-above-average hitter once he got to high A. A hundred percent. And that that's a great, you know, final thought on him, is I, I think it's easy to almost forget. You're like, oh, yeah, but it's low A. Most guys drafted out of high school, especially with his profile, they don't leave the complex, Jack. No, hell like, no. Like, uh, like Josh Baez, who big power guy, was just drafted in this most recent class, and he struck out 40% of the time at the complex. It's not to say he's doomed, but that's usually how big of a learning curve it is for these guys, not for Jordan Walker. Uh, but let's get to the number two prospect real quick in this system. And it's a guy that, you know, we, we were talking about shopping around a little bit. I was just on Locked On uh, Cardinals earlier today. And uh, 
Lucas Smith, who's the man, the host of Lockdown Cardinals, he was saying that, you know, they they don't really like to trade their top three prospects. And that's kind of held true for a long time. But when I look at the future of the Cardinals, we see Jordan Walker as, as the future after Arenado and being able to play in some other different spots. They're pretty covered at third. They've got a lot of middle infielders. I would say, you know, none of them are perennial all-stars, but they've got a lot of middle infielders. Gorman's been getting a lot of run at second base, but why wouldn't you consider trading Nolan Gorman? I, I really feel like that might not be a bad idea for a trade piece because I do, I like Gorman, but I do think that he's relatively overrated as a prospect. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it yesterday. We we floated Nolan Gorman in a lot of deals, and I think that Gorman can be the main guy to go back for a three or a two in Zach Plesac, right? Like, I don't see perennial all star when I look at Norla, when I look at Nolan Gorman, but I like the number two prospect in the system, like that says all star, and I just don't really see all star in Nolan Gorman. I see everyday second baseman or maybe everyday third baseman, more likely second than third, but I just don't really see one of the best second baseman in baseball potential with Nolan Gorman. No, and you know, I think he's he's better off at third. I think he's gonna he's gonna be average ish at second, so that you, you factor that in. I mean, he's six one, two hundred ten pounds. I don't know if he really moves like a second baseman, uh, though. The arm obviously plays there. You look at the numbers, and I think people are. That's why we're seeing him kind of ascend on the prospect rankings because he's young and he, he has been able to play through the upper levels, which is an interesting juxtaposition because he can't hit lefties, but he demolishes righties. Uh, but you look at the stat line last year: two seventy nine, three thirty three, four eighty one. I mean, it's eight fourteen LPS between double and triple A for a twenty to twenty one year old. Twenty five bombs. It's all good stuff, but could not hit lefties for his life. And doesn't walk. I mean, a 333 on base percentage when you've hit 25 home runs is, is not really ideal. And the ball does kind of fly out of Memphis and AAA there, uh, not to totally undermine what he did because he did hit 11 home runs and 43 games in AA. Just combining the defensive limitations, right? He's not giving you a ton of value defensively. He can't hit lefties. And he got blown up by Velo last year. I see him as your typical struggle to translate to the big leagues candidate. I don't think he's ready. And by the way, here, here are the splits between the two levels, by the way, last year, or between left and uh, right-handed pitchers, by the way, yeah. Jack. So versus right-handed pitchers, 305, 355, 543, Boom. 900 OPS. That's very good. Against left-handed pitchers, 202, 264, 294, 558 OPS. 23 of his 25 home runs came against righties despite one third of his at-bats coming against Southpaws. So you have an unusable, and, and that's in the minors. So you imagine he's, he's not even competitive, uh, remotely competitive against big league lefties. How do you call that guy up? I don't think you can. I think um, yeah. another number that I'm looking at is the difference between on-base percentage and batting average. And that's, you know, in AAA, it was like a 45-point jump from batting average to OBP. He's not walking a lot. It was a 6% walk rate in AAA. And if you're a top 100 prospect in baseball, chances are you're not seeing 90 down the dick every time. Like they're going to nibble a little bit. If you're going to nibble against anybody in minor league baseball, it's somebody that, you know, is, is the calling card of that database, right? It's, it's the number two prospect. It's the top position player prospect in the Cardinals system. When you see him, you say, okay, like I'm going to be careful with this guy because he's supposed to be the wonder boy. And when you don't walk 
as a guy that is probably seeing pitchers nibble against you, that's not great. So that either tells me that he was getting fed up and he wanted pitches to hit and he was hunting those, um, or he just doesn't have that great of an eye. Yeah. And the other thing that's concerning is that he, he doesn't really excel against, like I said, against the VLO 93 and up, which is all you see in the big leagues. And that's yeah. always something I'm looking at in pro with prospects, only a pair of home runs and a 500 OPS against pitches, 93 miles per hour and up. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, th that's not quite ideal. Um, most of the fastballs that he hit out were, were low nineties fastballs. And that's because he's a little bit slow to the ball and he's getting blown up a little bit and then left on left, he leaks off. Uh, so look, I, I know we're being incredibly harsh on the guy that is probably sits at number two. I think him and Libertor are interchangeable. The reason why I'm being harsh is that I just don't know why he's in triple a, like he held his own because he just murdered righties. But he's 21. What's the rush here? The fact that he reached AAA, I think, has caused people to think, okay, yeah, yeah, he's going to be in the fold next year. And I think the, the belief for the Cardinals is that they want him in the fold next year. But why? I don't know. I, I think that he needs a full season under his belt. If he could start to hit lefties better, I think he started to make improvements and I wanted to see, then we still could be looking at a really solid above average power bat. Uh, but I think the reason why we're being harsh here is to show that I don't think it's fair to consider him a part of the 2022 team as a contributor. I think he might get called up, but I, I don't see success. I agree with you. I, I just don't think he's ready. Like to say it that plainly, I don't think he's ready. And, you know, just because we're talking about Nolan Gorman like this does not mean that we don't like Nolan Gorman as a prospect. We're saying that we don't like Nolan Gorman as a contributor to the St. Louis Cardinals right now. And we don't understand why, um, they're trying to fast track him because he doesn't need to be, he can make his debut when he's 23 years old. That's still pretty young. Like that's a normal time for a good prospect to make their MLB debut. If you look at a college bat like that, if it takes him a little bit more time, I guarantee you five years down the road, the Cardinals are not going to be saying, damn, I wish we had him up. And he struggled when he was 21. If he comes up, he's 23 and he's fully ready, ready, ready. Then there are going to be no regrets there. And right now, you're right. He's just going to get blown up. It's going to look a lot like what happened to Kelnick in the early goings of this past summer. Kelnick was not ready. And then he went down to Tacoma. He got ready. He came back. And he was one of the best hitters on the Mariners in September. Yep. And he was more ready than, than uh, I think Gorman is right now, even the first time around. So I, I think it really puts it in perspective. And uh, I think he needs a little bit more time. And I actually think that will be the case because of the fact that he doesn't have to be added to the 40 man because of how young he is now recently he was drafted. And the fact that he's not on the 40 man, I don't really see them rushing to add him to that list uh, real quick on Libertor, because this is a guy that I know you and I are, are very, the, the word torn is tough because I think he's a big league starter, no matter what. Yeah. yeah. I guess where, what, what we're torn on is, whether he is a top prospect type or if he's more of that back end of the top 100 guy that, you know, has a decent fastball mixes in a good breaking ball and, you know, is just lanky and deceptive enough to be a solid number four. There's, there's a struggle in identifying which of the two he is. Uh, and I think again, another guy that did he need to be in triple a, Last year, I don't know. I don't necessarily know. He held his own, uh, but there's definitely some holes in his game.
Yeah, so this system's top heavy, and they felt like they had two blue chip guys that they just decided to put in AAA, just to put in AAA in Gorman and Liberator. And with Liberator, like I called him a four yesterday, and I know you always give me crap for for upping everybody by one, twos or ones, threes or twos, fours or threes. I just think he's a true four um, right now. Like he, I don't know. It, when Libby was traded from Tampa to St. Louis, I just saw like, I think everybody saw like this ace type guy, like the way that everybody looked at Shane Boz. And I just don't know if that's him. Like he was running it up to 98 at the end of the summer with Memphis. But when I was watching back some starts, you know, against like the Louisville bats against other teams in AAA. I just saw him pulling up like Liberator has never used the entirety of that frame. And I, I just see him like not really maximizing mechanically what he could possibly do. And that 98 was just flying all over the place. Like there were really bad misses there. So what I was texting you before we started recording here and what I was texting other people, just voicing my concerns is like, I think he's really good. And I love watching mechanically sound left-handed pitchers. And I love the fastball, curveball, slider combination. That slider is amazing from Liberator. But he seems like the guy that's going to get the call up in June. He's going to make five starts. And he's going to have a 12% walk rate or a 15% walk rate. Because he's going to get up and he's going to try and nibble around. And I don't think he's got the command and the mechanical command of a big frame to nibble successfully. I think he's just going to be missing badly a lot. Yeah. And I don't think he trusts the fastball enough either. It's a pitch that got hit pretty well, like really well. And I I like the point you bring about him kind of pulling up because you can really see it. And I know he wants to throw strikes and he's six, four and it's hard for lefties to to control their bodies, but you can really see him like when, and I know I got to use my right arm because my lefty mechanics will look terrible for those on video, but you can really see him pull up right when he lands of it's almost like he's aiming it a little bit. He looks, Um, he looks so good. He looks mechanically perfect, like Lester type, perfect mechanics until his plant foot lands. Yep. And then his torso straightens up. And you have no really, or you have no extension. There, no right? extension. And and that's the big thing. We talked about it with, with Jesus Lazardo. And it's what can make a fastball, make or break a fastball, really. I mean, Trevor Rogers, the big thing that he does as a lefty, and that's always, he's way out there, right? Tarek Skubal, way out there. Uh, and it gets in on you. Uh, but at times, like Lazardo releases way back here. And even though it's 97, you got more time to see it. Liberator was the same thing. I felt like you had more time to see it uh, because of where he's releasing it from. And that makes all the difference in the world for a pitcher. The, the other thing, or for a hitter as well, uh, the other thing is, is I like that you point out the slider. The slider is better than the curveball. Can we please stop talking about the majestic curveball? Yes, it's, it's, it's pretty. It's aesthetically pleasing. Uh, but the slider is the better pitch. The numbers would back it up. And what really encouraged me, though, about Libertor down the stretch was that he realized, hey, this majestic curveball that I keep getting plus grades on, it's actually not my better pitch. And he threw the slider more down the stretch. And guess what, Jack? He had more success down the stretch. And if you look at the numbers, set, or what is it? 741 OPS against the curveball. 581 OPS against the slider, and he threw it 
about 8% more frequently. So he started, started to see that success from the slider. And I think that was a big reason why. Also, imagine you're, you're releasing a 73-mile-an-hour curveball with a limited amount of extension. Hitters just have more time to react to it and adjust, and they're able to, to still survive and at least spoil it. Uh, so I, I really like that he was using the slider more. The other thing that he was doing was realizing that his fastball, not going to be a swing and miss pitch, he was using the two-seamer a bit more, getting more ground balls towards the end of the year. So he went slider two-seam, which work off of each other, each other better, and he had success down the stretch. So I was really encouraged by him showing the adjustment to his pitch usage, the way he was optimizing his arsenal, and that makes me a lot more optimistic heading into the next year. I want to see him do that for another 50 innings in AAA, and then I think he, he, he's going to need to get a chance now to, to show what he could do at the big league level. It's a little different for him. Cardinals desperately need him. And even if he's a, a low fours guy or mid fours guy for them in the back end with, you know, spot starts that are really good. I think that's worth it for, for the Cardinals in that rotation, knowing that he's going to keep developing. He's still just 22 years old as of recently. I think you're spot on with the slider curveball dynamic here. And I, I do want to turn this into a teaching moment just for a second, because if you're growing up, and you're a big kid and you want to learn about extension, if you want to watch somebody currently, you should be watching Trevor Rogers. If you want to watch somebody that, that is like Hall of Famer, go Casey? watch Roy Halladay. Wow. At 6'6", 225, the way that he extended was beautiful. Again, teaching moment. If you are the smaller side, but you want to extend as a small guy, go watch Pedro Martinez back then. He extended as a small right-hander better than anybody. And then what Walker Bueller does with his frame in terms of extension, go watch that. So that is current small guy, old small guy, old big guy, current big guy. If you want to see how big people extend, how Matthew Liberator should be extending when he follows through, go watch Trevor Rogers from the left side and Roy Halladay from the right side. Yeah, and an up-and-coming short guy, or shorter guy, Jack Leiter. Yes. Unbelievable job of being able to do that as well. But if you look at the way Libertor pitches, there's not that many tall lefties or tall pitchers in general that have that kind, that have success with that limited uh, extension. Usually, it's very rare. Usually it looks unique. Usually it looks like Randy Johnson or Chris Sale, right? And they've got this unique thing, and their arms never end, so they've got this weird whipping motion here. With Libertor... He's a mechanically sound big guy, which is what Trevor Rogers is. Yep. And, and I think it's a little bit too over the top and simple, and, and hopefully he can build in some deception. Uh, but a, another guy that I'm actually really excited about, and I don't think it's enough hype, Jack, because, you know, obviously you've got Yadier Molina in the fold, and this is the last year for Yadier. And I think it kind of times up well, because Ivan Herrera, catching prospect, who comes in at number four for the Cardinals and, and for me here on this list. I really do like Herrera. He's 21. I love the idea of him being able to hopefully work with Yachty a bit more this year as, as he's you know more involved and hopefully gets a call up later in the year. But Herrera is a crazy athlete who's still trying to put it all together behind the dish, but showed a really good ability to swing the bat for a catcher last year. Sure, you'd like to see him make some more frequent contact, but has the power, walks a good amount, and also has made some strides behind the dish, has the athleticism to be a great catcher. It's just more the fundamentals. And I'm just hoping, I'm hoping 
that he just gets some some one-on-one time with Yachty this spring. Uh, and that can make a little bit of a difference for him because my buddy Anthony Mulrine, who's a catching prospect with, with the Angels, said for him being invited to spring training last year and working with, with Max Stassi was just a, a game changer for him. And it was a big part of his success in, in the coming season was just getting being able to pick somebody's brain like that. Uh, so I would love to see Ivan Herrera working with Yachty, and I'm sure he will. Uh, I'm, I, from what I've read, he follows him around everywhere. <laughs> Does he? Yeah, which is what you want to hear. Right. Uh, 98 games with double-A Springfield in St. Louis's system. He hit 17 bombs, but he only hit 231. Mm-hmm. But walked. But walked. And that, that's the thing. You know, he's, I don't really put a ton of stock into walk rates until you get to double-A. And even then, you know, you're taking them with a grain of salt, but the low A, high A walk rates, I'm like, yeah. No, I mean, listen, as somebody that just spent a year in high A, like there are guys that can't throw strikes in high A. Yes, correct. A 14% walk rate in double A, you're starting to get my attention. I'm starting to think that's going to translate. And then if you do that in triple A, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely paying attention. But I think 14% walk rate for a 21-year-old who has power, uh, who, you know, I think quelled some of the swing and miss concern with a 22% K rate. I mean, the walk to K rate there is, is strong. Obviously, again, you want to see more contact, but a 346 on base percentage for a catcher is, is, is really solid. 104 WRC plus for a 21-year-old in double A, I'm, I'm taking that any day of the week from the catching position. And he got better as the year went on throwing out runners. It's just a super pull-happy approach that makes me concerned and I think can be a little bit game-planned for. Uh, but when you have these kind of tools – a decent level of production. And I would imagine just being able to heed advice from Yadier Molina. I'd like to think that Herrera could put it together fully again, still just 21. I'm saving my hot take bullets for, for the number nine <laughs> guy, the, the very end. But um, yeah, my, my thought on the Cardinals and catchers is just like, they haven't had to think about that position for 20 years. Yeah. So like, it would be really nice and it would kind of be poetic if the next 20 year Cardinals catcher was just like in their system. Yeah. That's what I was saying. It's amazing that they have another guy just you know, with no rush. Now take your time. Another year. Yachty. Hopefully they, they ease him in at the end of the year and he gets some more reps, but honestly with, with what he's been able to do with the stick, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he puts it together uh, and has a really big year this year as, as a 22 year old. And I'm not uh, totally opposed. I'm not totally opposed to him being the backup catcher this year. If can I no. continues to be like mediocre and you feel like Herrera can give Yachty that Sunday and Wednesday day off. Like I'm not opposed to that at all. I understand, you know, like holding the service time clock back a little bit, but hopefully that's done when this lockout ends. A hundred percent. I'm I'm in on that. I think you, you probably need to get him a couple hundred at bats in triple A, just let him to keep, keep working on things. But then after that, I wouldn't mind seeing him in the big leagues a little bit. And it'll be interesting to see how the, how the Cardinals decide to handle that. This is where things get interesting though, after five, because after five, you could start interchanging just about anybody. Yeah. And that's why at five, I just went with the guy that showed us some good things at the big league level, showed us some outrageous things in the Arizona Fall League. And I'm just a believer. I'm a believer in Lars Newbar. Am I crazy for having Lars Newbar at five? Almost graduated, just shy of graduation. But Lars Newbar at number five. I don't think you're crazy for having Newt Bar at five. Like, I think Lars Newt Bar is a good fourth outfielder in Major League Baseball. And I think he could be, I think he could be more than that. 
I don't know. I mean, he can swing it a little bit. I think he could be a platoon guy. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think he could be a platoon guy that crushes righties. And and Newt Bar, I mean, had a good a good little stint last year. I mean, there was there was some ups and downs. Obviously, lit the world on fire for for a stretch there, and everybody was super hyped on him. Uh, but the weird thing is, he had some reverse splits in his short stint. I, I'd have to look more at his splits and the in in the minor leagues long term. But I mean, this is a guy that I think could be a platoon guy. He's above average defender. I love his swing from the left side. He was comfortable coming off the bench. Good bench bat for them. Definitely can be that fourth outfielder for them next year. But again, another guy that I think could be a trade piece and that a team would be interested in probably trying out. Like if you're Cleveland, would you not be interested? And in, in, we talked about the mock trades. Newpar going to Cleveland, I'd be interested. I'd put some value in that too. He's still only 24, Jack. Just turned 24. He'll still be 24 at the start of the season. Uh, be- and, and a really nice left-handed swing. Yeah, I'd be really interested in that. And, you know, when we talked about the Guardians, we said they could use some left-handed bats in the outfield because, like, Valera's not there yet. Valera's going to be really good, but he's not there yet. Again, um, you know, we mentioned Schwarber is like that power lefty bat. It would be kind of nice to have Newtbar, who is more durable, better defensively, obviously a lot less power, but, like, can still hit 20 to 25 jacks. Um, also, look at the character thing with Newtbar. I love going on – uh, college rosters and just reading the fun facts at the bottom and Lars Newtbar when he was at USC he listed his favorite food as pasta uh, his favorite movie is the sandlot good choice and then he said that he listens to Jack Johnson and the game Jack oh. Johnson like singer songwriter and then the game not a singer songwriter oh so he he's all over like he, he's all he's, over pasta sandlot Jack Johnson and the game the game, the game is a singer songwriter. <laughs> Never heard a hundred with Drake. Yes, yes, I have. Banger. I don't think he's singer songwriter though. <laughs> it's a songwriter. <laughs> uh, but no, I, 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 uh, I can't even speak. I just did like a. But the thing with um, the thing with Lars, he's got that folk hero vibe to him too, and I think that's super fun. Newt. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in. Hard to trade him, but you look at the outfield situation, especially if there's a DH. And unfortunately, injuries are inevitable, especially with Bader and O'Neill. Those guys are a little bit on the higher end in terms of injury risk with the way they play, their athleticism, and just their, the muscular nature they have. Those guys seem to tweak things more often. Uh, and Dylan Carlson was banged up a little bit last year at times, too. Probably good holding on to Newt. Great bat off the bench. Great platoon guy. Can also play first if Gold Goldie goes down as well. He's really a, a nice little utility bat, but I think he could be a little bit more than that. But the Cardinals don't need him to be, and I expect them to probably hold on to him for a little bit. Before I throw in the next couple guys, real quick, Michael McGreevy, not too much on this guy other than I think he's a strike thrower, good fastball that is more in the low 90s, but all over the zone, gets a lot of ground balls. It's good mold for this Cardinals team that's elite defensively. And Mixes it up with three pitches pretty well. I know Peter loves him as a UC Santa Barbara guy, yeah. uh, but McGreevy, one of those guys that I don't get super amped about, but you have to put in the top 10 because I have a high level of confidence that he will be a back end of the rotation starter. And at the end of the day, that's a top 10 prospect. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, number seven, you said that Newt Bar 
is the type of guy that can play first if Goldie goes down. I think your seventh best prospect in the Cardinal system is the guy that should be the first baseman if Goldschmidt were to go down. I think the next step for him is hopefully developing in a corner outfield spot and then maybe getting a couple hundred ABs in the DH spot if they add that during the new CBA, and that's Juan Yepes. Yeah, this is like where it gets crazy for me. What does Yepes have to do to get more respect? Because if what he did last year wasn't enough, I don't know what is. I mean, he couldn't have been any better. And then he was more of the same in the Arizona Fall League. He was absolutely insane this past year. He hit 30 jacks or, or 27 and then a, a few more in the Arizona Fall League. 154 WRC plus between double and triple A. And again, it's not like he's a 25-year-old, 26-year-old dude that was beating up on younger guys. He's 23. I like Yepes. Very important to see if he can play a corner outfield spot moving forward. But if the DH is available, I want to give him a shot out there. 100%. 2021 is two stops. He had 19 games in double A, and then he had 92 games in triple A. Um, here's the deal with Yepes. This is a guy that you mentioned hit 30 bombs. Uh, he also struck out less than 20% of the time at each stop. He's got bats and ball. walked. And he walked. He walked north of 10% of the time at each stop, too. He is, he's got a lot of power. He's got a lot of bat to ball. You don't have to have a position if you're a power guy. Fangraphs grades his power out at 60, raw 60 future. Like this guy is a powerful bat for you. If you have a designated hitter, consider Juan Yepes. Yeah. And when you want to give Goldschmidt the day off at first, throw Yepes at first. Uh, I think if you give a guy a day off in the corner, you could do that. Like they've got depth. And that's why I'm interested to see if they do end up trading New Bar or somebody else. Uh, but the final thoughts on Yepes, again, I call it the, the Ty France effect. Some of these guys, they just rake through the minors, but they don't have one freakish tool and they don't have a true, true defensive position. And we overlook them. And Yepes is being blatantly overlooked by all the prospect rankings. And it's outrageous to put him anywhere outside of the top 10 uh, for this system when you're doing what you're doing as a 23-year-old with that power and contacts combination. Another guy, Alec Burleson, number eight. Burleson, we had a sit-down interview with him on JustBaseball.com. You can check out that article uh, from a few months back. And what I really liked about Burleson, aside from the fact that he's an awesome dude, two-way player at East Carolina, and one of the big things that he said, you know, he was a left-handed pitcher there, but also you know, fixture in their lineup. Not pitching anymore allowed him to really focus on just building hitter strength and, and being able to get after it in the weight room in a way that a pitcher is usually restricted from doing a little bit, though pitchers do kind of get after it differently now. It's still a bit different in terms of how much you're going to push it, how aggressive you're going to be in bulking your upper body as a pitcher. And he's like, once I stop pitching in pro ball, I, you know, I was able to really get after it, and we saw that power translate for Burleson. Another guy that just outrageously aggressive assignments, made it up to AAA, held his own. I'm a big fan of Burleson as a person, really impressed with what he did out of the gate, and uh, was one of the first guys to make it to AAA in the entire draft class, along with Torkelson and all those other dudes, was right in there with all of them. I, I'm a big believer in Burleson's bat and think he can be a, a 280, 20-home run guy if it all works out. And I love how much you value the character thing. Like I value the character thing so much. And a lot of the top flight prospects that I've interacted with, a lot of the best players on teams that I've been around are nice dudes. Like I have yet to meet the best player on a team that is a dick when you are in professional baseball or when you are at high level 
college athletics. I mean, I, I interact with a lot of college basketball teams and the best player on a lot of college basketball teams is a really nice guy. When you get to the highest level of sports, whether it be college at the division one level or professional, it's usually the guys that see the writing on the wall that are dicks because they're self-conscious about where they are. Alec Burleson knows that he can control what he can control. You saw that and you like that. I think if you like the guy, A, you can root for him. And B, that says a lot about makeup and shows that if he has an 0 for 3 day with three punch outs, he's going to be fine the next day. That's what I was really impressed with is the conversation that we had in that regard. It was just, you know, I asked him what the, what the biggest adjustment was to, to double A and getting that quick jump. And he's like, the, the game's just fast. He's like, the game is super fast. The ball comes off the bat differently. Uh, pitchers are pitching you differently. But I realize it's still the same game. And so I, you know, just him talking about how he still maintained his same approach with just an added emphasis on details. And it's just things that you sit there and you're soaking it in, even if that might not work for every player, you're like, wow, this, that makes sense. That's informative, insightful. And that's something that works for him. And he knows himself. And yes, I'm sure if I could talk to every player, I, there'd be more players that I know about in that way. Uh, but I, I do get a chance to talk to a lot of guys and uh, for guys that I'm higher on, and then I get to talk to him and it kind of back, it's backed up by that. I'm going to give, I'm going to feel even more confident about it. And Burleson, I'm very confident in, but that aside, love the swing too, love the approach. And I think that guy's going to be a really good ball player uh, who could climb into the top 100 uh, by mid season next year. If he continues to hit uh, th this is a guy that I'm at number nine, before we wrap up, then I'm going to defer to you on because I honestly don't know what to do with him. Uh, he's young and I'm obviously watching and I'm not going to try to, uh, be too critical. Uh, but Mason wins a guy that we could blank by midseason next year. And he's in the top five. Uh, I, I'm well aware of that. It's just, it was hard for me to put him over some of these other dudes with what they have done already. Uh, but I want you to tell me if I was a little bit too low on Mason. Wynn. Mason Wynn is the most exciting prospect in baseball that nobody knows about. I, I don't think that's wrong at all. Mason Wynn is a guy that at a perfect game showcase his senior year of high school Went yard and threw 98 in the same game. Yeah. That's what we're looking at here. He did not hit well in low A or high A, but that's because he's 18 years old. He was exactly. in high A at 18 years old. Like that's some sort of cardinal dynamic to just. I like, don't know what, what's good with that, bro. I don't like, know. What is that? I've got no idea, but like. The thing with Mason Wynn, yeah, he didn't walk a lot. Yeah, he didn't hit for average. He was like 209 with a 250 OBP in Peoria. Um, and he only threw an inning, and it was a one, two, three inning with a punch out. But what this guy has the possibility of doing is Otani light. It's not the power, like Otani is 50 bombs. That's not what Mason Wynn is. Mason Wynn stole 16 bags in low A, stole 16 bags in high A. Low A was a little bit skewed because they had the pickoff rule, but in the second half of the high A season, which is where Wynn finished the year, they totally abandoned the pickoff rule. Those are 16 true bags yep. for Mason Wynn. This guy, when he was a senior in high school, was training with an NFL speed coach that was dealing with a lot of the running backs and wide receivers that are from the Houston area. So he located his speed and said, I'm going to get better at that. When you watch him and when you will watch him for the next 10 years, you're going to see 
that one player in high school baseball that was just so far and away better than everybody else. And he like had D one offers to play wide receiver too. You know what I mean? Like it's that kid that just gets off the bus and you see him and you say, if he's on base, I'm screwed and we're not going to keep him off the bags. And Oh, by the way, he's going to hop on the mound in the seventh inning and shut us down one, two, three for the win. Oh, hundred percent. And it's funny. I'm like watching his swing as you're talking and, and listening to you. And I'm like, this swing is so athletic. It's so I actually athletic. like, I like the swing. I think the issue is he just doesn't know who he is yet. He's but lungy. He's, still, he's, he's very a little lungy with his swing. It's a long swing. It's a lot of arms. I think he's got to quiet the swing down. It's not that, that bad though. Like I thought it would be worse. Yeah. Like, yes, yeah. Issues, but it's, I thought it would be worse. Jack. When like, you look at the numbers, when you look at 209, like you say, okay, this swing is going to have some serious holes in it. And like, it's got holes, but they're not serious holes. It's like, not. Yeah. He definitely is lungy a little bit long, but like I was expecting some crazy movements. So it's, it's really not bad. And the bat speeds there. It's just pitch rack and a little bit of extraneous movement. But when you talk about the athleticism, that's why I think that'll start translating to the plate, you know, because when you have things that people can't teach, it just makes a difference, obviously, in terms of your ability to, I think you can hit for power too. I think he's going to impact the baseball, uh, but as a reliever, potentially also, it would be really sick. I would like that. Yeah. Like Otani is one of a kind. Otani is a unicorn. He is not going to be Otani. He is going to be the ninth inning guy. Like he's not necessarily going to be a closer, but if you need an arm, he can be that seventh reliever for the Cardinals and he can log 50 innings on the mound. That might be generous, maybe 40 innings on the mound, but he can also play a hundred games at short. And obviously if you're getting on the mound and you're throwing 98, you've got like, I was watching um, a director for perfect game who hopped on prospects live to do a breakdown of Mason Wynn, And uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. I'll get that name. Um, but he said, the first pitch he throws like first fastball he throws in a film breakdown. He said, okay, well that's 80 arm speed right there. Like that's what, you know, um, I mean at short, like he, when he breaks into the bigs is going to have the best arm of anybody at the shortstop position, better than Correa, better than Baez, better than Tatis. The arm is just going to be better than everybody else because he gets on the mound and throws 98. Can't teach that. Can't teach it. Nope. He's fast as shit now. Even if you give him, even if he only gives you 25 innings, it's a nice little bonus to get from a position player, right? So in today's game, love it. Uh, Last guy, you and I don't have much on him. I think we just kind of wrap up with with just kind of what it means. Uh, It kind of contextualizes some of the other things. Joshua Baez was just drafted out of high school, really, really struggled at the complex league. Unbelievable power, but well off. And all I'll say in this regard is – kind of shows you that even though Mason Wynn struggled in high A, it's amazing that he was even semi-competitive in low and high A when you see how bad Baez struggled as a toolsy guy as well in the complex league. It kind of shows you the wins more advanced than we may think. Yeah, 100%. And I also think that that just tells you a lot about what the Cardinals think of their young guys. And like, they're just ready to just push them, push them, push them, push them. Yeah. And Baez was not ready. Like Wynn no. was not ready for high A in terms of the bat. Everything else he was. Baez was just not. So, like, in 2023, like, when we talk 365 days from now, and if we're doing the Cardinals, we could be talking about Baez in an entirely different way. We could be talking about win in an entirely different way. And we could be talking about Jordan Walker like he's Eloy Jimenez. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? So, I just don't 
think that there's a need to rush a lot of these guys in this top 10 Baez included. Um, but they're the excitement factor for a lot of these guys that are far off for St. Louis is there in droves. I do like the balance of high upside volatile guys and high floor safe guys as well yes. uh, in this top 10, which I think is essential for any system, especially one that's maybe not the most exciting in the world. Uh, but again, I really like the point that you make about bias for an uber aggressive organization with assignments. Pretty funny. You know, I think it kind of tells you when they leave a guy in the complex league that he's a little bit further off, maybe from his uh, point of development. Any final thoughts on the Cardinals system as we wrap up what actually might be the final episode? And so I, I was mean earlier. I will, I will ask you to come on from time to time on the call up as well. Yeah, that's that's nice to hear. Um, no, Cardinals top flight organization. This is not the best system in baseball, but it's always going to be a good system. It's been a good system for twenty years. It's going to be a good system for twenty more years. They know what they're doing in St. Louis. Uh, and go Cardinals, go St. Louis Cardinals, go Ball State Cardinals. Big game against the Kent State Golden Flashes tonight. Ooh, all right. I'll be tuning in. Take down the Golden Flashes, and I think you bring up a good point with the Cardinals. A lot of these guys could help them as soon as next year, and I expect a lot of these guys to to stick with the org and and help them in the future. They're not a big trade prospects away team. They're more of the develop the prospects. So I'm expecting a lot of these players to continue to develop. But Best of luck on your call, Jack, and uh, we'll be back at it talking baseball with you all tomorrow. Tune in, follow Jack on Twitter. You can let it; he'll let you know when he's live. You know, calling the game. Are you on sideline or are you uh, play by play today? Calling, calling the radio for uh, for Ball State, Kent State. There we go. Tune into that. Well, thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>